You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 371 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Zach Stradling was the first and only software engineer on the original Trainual team, and he's pretty much lived and breathed coding his whole life. He even convinced his wife to name his daughter Ruby, yes, like on Rails. When he's not coding away for work or pleasure, you'll likely find Zach watching college football, playing tennis, or enjoying quality time with his family. Welcome to the show, Zach. Hey, Brittany. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's uh, it's exciting to be here. It's actually my uh, my first podcast uh, interview that I've done, so it's so really exciting. We are on a hot streak of first timers, so this is great to have you, Zach. So as a listener of the show, what is your developer origin story? Yeah, so um, it's, it's actually very, very similar to a lot of, you know, of other developers. Um, I've always been super interested in, in technology, uh, even as a kid, uh, if the, the family computer or even the TV or DVD player wasn't working, I was, you know, called on to fix it. Uh, and I've always just loved to create things as, as well. Um, I, you know, would play uh, Sims as a kid, you know, the, the computer game. And I didn't really care about, you know, actually living the, the Sims lives. I just like building houses. I loved being able to create things and build things, whether it was, you know, on a computer or even with Legos. So when I had seen in, in junior high uh, a class, an intro to web design, uh, I, I thought that sounded really intriguing, even though I had no idea what it was. Um, and in that class, I, I was introduced into the very basics of, of HTML and a little bit of CSS, you know, through uh, Adobe Dreamweaver. Um, so uh, from there, I just fell in love and started creating, you know, simple little websites for, for friends and, and family. Um, but nothing more than just, you know, basic HTML, CSS, and then really leaning heavily on uh, like software like Dreamweaver or Adobe Muse. Um, but as I you know, started getting more and more, I kept wondering, how do I do more? How do I do more with this stuff? Uh, and so I, I later attended uh, a coding bootcamp, uh, Block.io. Um, I think they merged with another coding bootcamp um, since then. Uh, but there I was uh, introduced with, with JavaScript and, and AngularJS and then, then ultimately Rails, which I absolutely loved. Uh, and since then, I kind of you know got my my first uh, web development jobs, and and from there found my way to to Trainual. Zach, I am also a block grad, and I think you are the first fellow block grad to be on the podcast, which is really exciting. Really, that's awesome. I had no idea. <laughs> Me neither. So I really want to dig into Trainual, and first of all, what does it take to be the first engineer hire? Like, what did that feel like? What got you interested in the role? Like, I'm so curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I guess a little bit of, of a background on Trainual. So Trainual is it's an online SaaS uh, platform that allows uh, businesses to onboard, train, and, and grow their teams um, by, you know, documenting what they do. So uh, documenting and delegating processes for a specific business. So uh, we dub ourselves as, um, you know, a playbook builder. Um, and I guess a little bit of, of background on Trainual itself. I was actually first hired on 
um, uh, as, as the solo engineer for a consulting company uh, named Organize Chaos. Um, and at that time, Organized Chaos had uh, Chris, uh, uh, you know, our now C CEO, uh, and uh, a couple others, and I was the first engineer. And at that time, we were a consulting company that would go from business to business and uh, identify, you know, processes that need to be improved, streamline um, their business. And uh, my job was to, when they needed software or something, some kind of automation that didn't currently exist, uh, I'd build it. So I'd build small little, you know, Rails applications that would automate whatever, you know, small task or, or chore that, that needed to be automated. Uh, and one of the, the tools that, uh, that uh, we used um, to help businesses with their processes and organize it uh, was, was Trainual. Um, and it was a, a SaaS tool that Chris, our CEO, had bought some from, from some ASU college students. It had a different name back then. Um, and he used it for his consulting clients. And, and when I started, he said, man, this thing is like really slow, but I feel like it might have a future. Uh, how long would it take to, you know, either fix it to make it fast? Um, and I recommended that we just rebuild it, rebuilt it from the ground up. So uh, it was a Ruby on Rails and Angular application. And, um, you know, I told him, I said, yeah, it'll take like, you know, six weeks to refactor or like 12 weeks to just rebuild. My estimate was way off, as uh, as most as most estimates are. Um, so it ended up taking you know um, the over six to, to eight months to actually end up rebuilding the entire system. Um, but we re rebuilt Trainual uh, from the ground up from there. So basically, Trainual was spun out of the consulting business into its own organization. Exactly. So at one point, um, we were just thinking as, as we rebuilt Trainual. We had a couple of, of, of larger companies that were really interested in it. So we um, said, you know what, let's just go all in. Let's let's uh, get to a point where Retrainual, you know, has enough customers so we don't have to do consulting, right? So uh, eventually it got to that point where we totally offloaded all of our consulting clients. And then now today we have, uh, you know, uh, 5,000 plus companies that, that use Trainual. That's fantastic. And it really reminds me of the story of Slack about how it was a chat functionality that was pulled out of a game. I think it's a great idea just because you already had those consulting clients. You already had paying customers that were already using it and vetting it for you. So it really sounds like an ideal situation. Yeah, it really was. And especially with, with Chris, our CEO's background and just, you know, being a business guru. Um, and it, it, this was a great fit. So I know that you are actively hiring at Trainual. So before we get into that, what is the technical stack? So our tech stack is uh, we're you know a big old uh, Ruby on Rails monolith. Um, we are we're hosted on on Heroku. Uh, we use uh, we use Haml uh, as our front end uh, um, HTML code in, in in place of ERB. Uh, we use a, quite a bit of of CoffeeScript. Um, uh, but we actually are in the process of um, converting a lot of our, our front end to uh, React, and we're utilizing the, the React on Rails um, gem uh, to do that. Uh, and then uh, Postgres, RSpec, um, Elasticsearch, a lot of the uh, uh, you know classic uh, Rails technology. Well, you already sold me on the Hamel bit, so that's <laughs> exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so as someone who started out as a solar developer at the company, it's probably been partly your responsibility in order to locate engineers to grow out the team. So I'm curious, as someone who's also hiring myself, what attributes are you looking for in a developer? Yeah, um, it, I, as I'm sure you're aware, um, finding and, 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 and recruiting and hiring, you know, good Ruby on Rails talent is difficult. Uh, now we're in, we're, in, uh, we're in Scottsdale, so the Phoenix market is, is especially difficult. So uh, it, it does become uh, a challenge uh, to find uh, to good talent. Um, but as of right now, we're, we're, we're hiring for, for, for several roles. And, and some of the main attributes that, that I look for in an engineer is we don't necessarily look specifically at stack. It's important, right? Like if they're, you know, Rails, it's like amazing, right? They get up and running faster. But it's really just their, their core understanding of uh, a CX concepts. And then being a startup, uh, it's important that they have, um, you know, that drive and, and that, that, uh, um, that hunger for, for growth, um, both, uh, you know, personally and professionally. Now, with the, the weird world that we're finally coming out of, have you changed your talent strategy to hire remotely or are you still focused on Scottsdale? Yeah, we, we, we've uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, kind of to we, we used to be very pretty, like oh, only, you know, in person, no remote. But obviously, after a few months of working 100 percent remote, it become it became apparent like it didn't really matter. Right. Uh, we, we're all in, 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 you know, in Phoenix, but we could have been on different parts of the world and it would have been the exact same thing. So it really was pretty enlightening to, to us as an organization that remote can work. Right. Um, and, uh, from, from that, yeah, definitely, uh, made us, uh, rethink our strategy a little bit and be a lot more open to, um, you know, remote hires. I agree. I'm currently the only remote out of the Texas engineering team, but that just happens to be the way it is now. And we have certainly opened up all of our roles to be remote. And so I agree with you that I think that a lot of companies learned a lot of valuable lessons about how to do remote correctly. Now, that being said, you know, am I eager to meet my team in person? 100%. But I really like the fact that I work for a Colorado company, but I can remain in Pennsylvania. So, and to your point as well, you know, Ruby on Rails talent, it, it's hard to find. And the people are out there, but they're not necessarily in these big cities and they're not necessarily looking at startups to work at. Yeah, definitely. And especially as we, I mean, right now we, we're really looking, you know, from, from positions, you know, from junior all the way to senior, right? And, and as we've grown as a company and scaled our product and, and code base, um, we're reaching a point where we're starting to look for a bit more of specialization. Um, like obviously, you know, we want uh, ideally everyone to be, to be full stack, but as uh, you know, we continue to grow, uh, you know, we started looking for, you know, um, engineers with a lot of, you know, experience around performance, right? So we're looking for a perform performance engineer uh, and then, uh, a security engineer and a data engineer. Um, so those are some of the specializations uh, that we're really, you know, kind of looking for, which is even more challenging sometimes, because not only is there a small pool of, you know, Rails developers, 
But when you're trying to get really specific and a little bit more on the, the, the senior side, it adds another, uh, adds another hurdle. Well, how about you and I switch challenges, Zach? Because with <laughs> us, we're in the exact opposite boat where our front end and back end teams are actually quite segregated in terms of responsibilities. But we're finally going to make a hire around a React on Rails developer to help bridge Ooh. that gap. So okay. <laughs> that that's an interesting challenge for us because normally, you know, you can designate one team in order to do all the interviewing and the, you know, making sure they have the correct experience and culture fit. Now we're really trying to find someone who can do both. So I think this will be actually an interesting challenge for us. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. So let's talk about growing the team in general. So at one point you were by yourself and at, at some point you had enough funding and customers where it made sense to grow out the engineering team. How did you realize, you know, the processes that you had at two engineers was not going to scale to 15? Yeah. So as, as a team of, of two engineers, you know, you really don't need too much process, right? Especially when you're sitting right next to each other all day, every day. It's really pretty easy to sync up with, you know, with one person or even two. Uh, but when you start getting to that six, seven, eight engineers all working in the same code base, same repository, you know, working on, on modules that are, you know, very tightly coupled, uh, things can get messy very quickly. So the need, you know, for some core, you know, fundamental processes is really a must. So. I guess to give a little background on, on the growth from, you know, from two to, to 15 engineers, um, you know, March 2020, uh, we had just hired Chase, our third uh, engineer. Uh, COVID happens, so shutdown begins, uh, and we move from being in office almost every day uh, to completely remote, right? And, you know, fortunately enough for us, the shutdown uh, really made process documentation a priority for businesses, right? Because uh, lots of companies that have never been remote, just like us, now have to be remote, and they can't do anything unless things are documented, you know, clearly. Um, whereas, unfortunately, for some other companies, that was, you know, not the case. Uh, and because, you know, like we said, finding good Ruby talent, especially in Phoenix, had been a real challenge. Uh, when several, you know, Ruby engineers became uh, available due to layoffs and such. Uh, we decided to, to hire a bit faster than we initially planned. So uh, in April 2020, uh, we brought on five additional uh, engineers, uh, and we immediately went from from uh, three to, to now eight. Uh, and this also, you know, obviously required us to, to restructure teams quite a bit, um, whereas we just had one product manager, one designer. Uh, we now needed additional product managers and designers. Um, and kind of switched over to uh, a little bit more structured, uh, uh, similar to uh, Spotify squad model. Um, so we split into a couple of different squads, and 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 throughout this process, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of growing pains, as you can imagine. I imagine. So Texas's engineering team is currently at ten. We're looking to hire eight additional roles, and that really has me thinking, you know, how can we hold on to our culture? How can we be open to culture changes with these people coming in? But I can't imagine going from three to eight. I mean, that's more than double. So I'm curious, like, how did culture shift with that? So that was something that I was actually really, really happy about. We had, uh, or still do, such, such an amazing culture before we we went remote we were genuinely everyone in the company was 
was was friends with each other, right? Uh, not necessarily outside of work, but at work, we all really enjoyed being there and being around each other. And the the core values that that we had had established were were real core values and not just uh, fluff that you know was put in there for for PR or, or for whatever, right? Um, so that shift going to you know remote and adding so many more members to the team um, that it really had to be uh, an emphasis and a priority for for all the leadership and really everyone in the company to try and keep that same culture that we had in person and now to be remote with you know a lot of you know new team members right so uh it, it definitely was a challenge um to try and keep that same culture i feel like we've done a really amazing job um in in doing that um one of the things uh that is probably the most challenging um is when you're in person, it's so easy to have uh, a small conversation, to go to lunch with someone, to to see kind of what 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 they're talking about uh, on the phone or, or just to another coworker. Um, whereas when you're remote, you really have no idea uh, kind of what's going on with them or their responsibility unless you're on a Zoom call with them. So a lot of the the side conversation that can really happen easily in person doesn't happen in per, er, remotely. So a lot of that, that context and that um, meta uh, information that, that you can get from being in the same room or going to lunch or just talking to someone in person, you don't get that remote. So you have to be really intentional about, about trying to make some of those, those uh, conversations happen. Uh, and so we, we implemented a few different things. One was, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, it's a, it's a Slack app called Donut which will um, uh, randomly pair you with another member of, of the team uh, to have a quick 30 minute sit down conversation, not really about anything other than just chatting. Uh, and that was a way that as we added more and more team members, not only in engineering, but in the entire company, you were able to, to sit down and talk to somebody and, and just have a conversation that wasn't under the scope of, oh, we need to complete this project. It's just a nice, friendly conversation. You really got to know each other. I love that. Uh, we've used Donut before at TextUs, but our senior front-end engineer actually just rolled out with a the TextUs culture bot. And so it posts random questions. People love that stuff. They love starting this like massive thread of answers, and it really does help bring everyone together. We found that we have an extraordinary amount of ex lacrosse players on the team, and you never would have guessed that. You know, that's not <laughs> something that you would bring up in a meeting. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I'd be interested in checking that out. Is that uh, is that public on the the Slack? Uh, it, app it's not, but we can certainly make it so. So yeah. I will have to talk to him for sure. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really interesting. So on a technical topic, you've been digging into service objects lately. So, you know, for any of the listeners who are not familiar with what a service object is, do you mind defining it? Yeah, of course. So um, a service object in, in Rails, you know, is just uh, a plain old Ruby object. You know, it's, it's created for a specific business action. Um, it should typically be, you know, a single, single purpose class, um, you know, ideally. Um, and it, for example, could be something as you know simple as create a customer or update update a user, 
And when you have a smaller application, you know, with a few controllers, maybe a few tables, um, it, there's not really a, a need for it. But uh, as you know, our Rails monolith grows, and you start, you know, adding more and more features and iterating, and now you have, you know, uh, 50, 60, 70 tables, and uh, lots of different controllers and in different places where people are calling, you know, the same the same action. Um, instead of you know calling you know just uh, customer dot create you know params in fourteen different places, you create a service object that that does that. So all you need to do is call the service object. That way, if you ever need to make changes to that logic, you make it in one place rather than in all fourteen of those places in the controller. So it can really uh, clean things up a little bit as far as uh, duplicated uh, logic, um, and can can can. Uh, make the, the controllers uh, a little smaller as well. I have used them in the past and I like them a lot because they're really easy to test because you know exactly what's supposed to go into them and what's supposed to come out. Exactly. Uh, this getting with the, it was something that, that uh, originally uh, as we started implementing, uh, you know, service objects, we did not do a great job at, at making them single purpose. We basically use it as an excuse to extract all the logic we could out of, out of controllers. And so the, we had service objects doing 10, 15 different things. And that definitely did not make things easy to test. <laughs> but, uh, but as we've uh, uh, gone through and identified, you know, a lot of that, those, those poor decisions, uh, that uh, you so often find when you look at your old code, um, uh, we you started to refactor and really go the, the single purpose uh, route. And that has been uh, a dream uh, as far as testing, right? Like all it needs to do is do this one thing. So create a test that does this one thing. Uh, so, so yeah. So I know that the phrase God objects or God models have been slung around, <laughs> but we might have to, you know, invent the term Zeus service objects. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so on the flip side of them, why can the use of service objects be really controversial in the Ruby on Rails community? Well, I think I think with anything, uh, you know, Rails can be very uh, a very opinionated, you know, framework, right? The opinions can vary, I guess. Uh, developers can have their own opinions of how Rails should be structured. I guess I should, should phrase that better. Um, and so with with anything with the you know the the fat models skinny controllers um some may believe that that all that logic that that, that we broke out into you know a service object should either be in the model or should be a concern uh, of the model so um at least those are the arguments that i've seen um and i think it'd be more a uh, a question of uh um you know um uh, preference, at least in my opinion. I agree. I think the problem is that service objects are not scaffolded. Like they're observed by Rails, but they're not really built into like Rails new, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so yeah. I've seen some controversy around that, that like basically developers are trying to shepherd this new concept that isn't part of the framework. Yep, exactly. And we've actually, you know, kind of gone ahead and, and uh, created some custom, you know, scaffolding for, for our service objects, which um, is, is works when it's a, what's a, you know, an existing application that's, you know, kind of going to stick around for a while. But um, as with new applications running Rails new, um, you know, obviously, uh, you don't get that out of the box, right? Uh, no, you do not, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> 
So, Zach, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? You know, I'm actually really, really excited about the, the future of, of Ruby on Rails and, 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 and Ruby in general. I know the, the Ruby 3x3 just came out. Um, I mean, from uh, we haven't uh, we try to stay pretty up to date with, uh, with our versions of, of Rails and Ruby, but haven't jumped to Ruby 3 yet. Um, I know there's been, uh, you know, over this past, you know, few weeks, there was a bit of a, a controversy around, uh, you know, Ruby on Rails and, uh, you know, some of the, the core team. But um, I think at least looking at, uh, you know, some of the um, high level, like in, in Chatter and Twitter and in the different communities, I, I think the community is really strong. And uh, the other day I sent the, a screenshot of this to, to my team, but uh, I saw that uh, Shopify looks looks like they're looking to double their engineering team this year, um, which uh, in the majority of those roles, I believe are going to be Ruby or Ruby on Rails. So um, I'm not sure where they're going to find thousands of Ruby on Rails developers, but I'm pretty sure they're going to have to create some. So I think uh, that bodes well for, for other uh, companies that are also looking for Ruby on Rails talent because there'll be a, a need for um, you know, additional boot camps and, and, and learnings and trainings and whatnot um, to, to support that growth. I completely agree with you. You know, you and I are the results of going through a Ruby on Rails boot camp. And at one point, the Ruby on Rails boot camps were everywhere. And they have definitely dialed back. But to your point, we're going to need either these boot camps to make a resurgence or these boot camps are going to need to be pulled in internally. And we're going to need to teach other developers our ways. So I agree with you. Our community can only get stronger and bigger. Yep, definitely. So Zach, the all important question, if listeners are interested in applying at Trainual, what should they do? Uh, we actually just created a, a, a new uh, engineering page on our website. Um, so they can go to trainual.com slash engineers. Uh, and there they'll be able to see uh, a lot of a breakdown of our, our team and then also see all of our, our open positions. Fantastic. And how can listeners follow you? Uh, they can follow me on, on LinkedIn. Just, just my name, Zach Stradling. And then uh, same on Twitter, just uh, at Zach Stradling. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, you know, choosing the Ruby on Rails podcast for your podcast debut. And uh, I really enjoyed speaking with you about hiring and service objects and listeners, if you are interested, definitely reach out. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.